Good evening and welcome to Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Andy Timmons. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm having my Gatorade. I'm trying to get my electrolytes in, but good to be with you, Sean. How you doing, man? Well, it's going to be on a, I'm not, I'm not a sharp tack today, as you normally am. People, right, as we were yeah. talking earlier, that you know, you've done a lot of musical projects, and my yes. first one seeing you was in Danger Danger, actually the Kiss show we were talking about early in nine, it was 90. That would have been, yeah, the hot, we did um, two hot different runs with Kiss. We did part of the Hot in the Shade tour, yeah. and then 89, 90 the, for that tour. It would have been 90. 90, okay. 1990, that's right. So whenever that was, maybe it was in the summer? It was, it was hot. It was Atlanta. Yeah, I remember because it was, it was outdoor. Hot Lanta. Hot Lanta, that's right. We did a few outdoor days on outdoor shows on that tour, one in Nashville and one, one there. But yeah, so many fond memories from those uh, from those days for sure, man. Well, and, you know, and it was interesting that, as we were talking earlier, that um, Kiss has always been good. You can always talk about like, well, the the merchandising. There's always bad things you can say, good and bad about whatever. But there's right. certain points that what, what Kiss has done has been really good. Is they've come in and they've at some points mentored bands. You know. Yeah, I mean, for it's them always to take been a... something that not people hear about though. You know. Yeah, no, I, I think that you know, it, it it serves it serves both purposes. You know, it's it's good for them to have younger bands out to to get some younger fans. But it's also like for Danger Danger, it was just our first record and we had done zero. You know. Um, bigger tours like that. We'd done some theater tours and club tours, but for the for Kiss to take us out and uh, you know give us arena experience was yep. was huge. And that was that was one of my takeaways and one of the things really watching these guys and how they knew how to project to a large audience because I you know had years and years and years of club and you know theater experience, but there's a different connection that you have to try to connect with the person mm -hmm. in the back row. And that was me when I was a kid. I saw Kiss on. On the Destroyer tour in 1976, it was my first concert. I was that kid, in the, in the, literally the top of the back of the arena, you know. And uh, so it was just really cool to kind of uh, get to know them a little bit as human beings, as opposed to you know our, our yeah. heroes and and the gods they were to us. And we and we still were fans every night, you know. Especially Bruno and I, we watched from the side of the stage every single night. We were just reliving our childhood because that's right. how I learned how to play guitar was Kiss Alive. And that and that you guys era. were hot though too, though you know you can't well, take we, it because. They knew yeah. what they were getting. Gene, Gene booted off, I think, at one point when Slaughter left. He had some. He had um, Little Caesar come back on, and when Slaughter could come back, I think, yeah. he booted them again. He knew which bands that were selling more records. I mean, yeah, you were yeah, you were a good sales spot right there too. Well, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple of videos that were doing good on yeah. uh, MTV, but I think even I think Slaughter was. Pro I think they were out doing yeah. everybody at the time as far as merch and all that stuff goes. Which is also which is funny. Pretty... The whole uh, connection with uh, Vinny. Yeah, that's and true. Yeah, yeah, very I mean, much so. Very, very much so. But that was it was a good it was a good bill and we had some great shows, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, Hot the sure. Shade tour we're talking about and that one mm -hmm. was that was kind of a comeback. Larry Mazer came in, the took over banding for them and really kind of brought okay. them right. out bigger and better without the makeup. Yeah, you know, maybe he really so. kind of came in. That was a big tour that kind of brought them back got them back too, I think. Yeah, I think that what was the it was the the the, the power ballad Forever was on there. Yeah, Forever, and yep. And maybe big, one or two other Sphinx and stuff. Yeah, they had, we call Leon, we called it Leon Sphinx. Leon Sphinx. <laughs> oh, you know what it is? And I, it's yeah. it was, the song was um, "Hide Your Heart," right? Yeah, that's right. That was on that record. That's exactly right. And then the next right, we did a, we did some dates on the the Revenge tour in the UK, and that's that was even even more back to the their sound a little bit. Yeah. You know? That's they a got a bit more he, back to heavy rock and roll. That had Un Unholy and Domino, and that was a guy yeah. I like that. I like that record too. And it was there's some good songs cool. on that one actually. Yeah, I agree. I agree with yeah. that one. That was weird. I asked because. Hide Your Heart was everyone released it. Do you, I don't know if you remember that at the time. Yeah. Um, like two other bands did that too at the same time. I think I asked Desmond oh. Chow, like, what was going on? Yeah, wow. like two or three other people all released it at the same time. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that I think, happens I think sometimes Ace with Freely some of those writers. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, that it's, happens. I reckon. I guess so. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because yeah. if, if you geek out enough about music, you kind of see everything kind of go together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no doubt. You see the pattern. No, no so, doubt about it. You guys stayed together and played out until '93, probably right. You guys kind of held it together. I think that's about right. We we did a um, had a second record called Screw It, and we did dates for that. Then we recorded a third record for Epic that would that was called Cockroach. That's but Cockroach, right? Yeah, uh-huh. and um, so but that didn't come out till many many years later because basically what was happening was MTV had lost interest in any of the hair bands, quote unquote. You know, because of Seattle and rap was kind of the, the main focus at the time, and there was issues with the band too. The the singer and the had sued the, the the band essentially. Steve and Bruno, you know, ran the band. They were the the main songwriters. So there was issues there. He left the band. We got another guy to come in, Paul Lane, and resang yeah. the whole record. But by that time, the label oh, that's know, had, right. us, had us at arm's length. So they basically made it impossible for us to release it on our own. They wanted like you know, two hundred fifty like grand or something crazy. So it was a shame. It, you know, it kind of killed the band at that time. And I just went back to Texas to continue what I was doing in the in the recording studios in my own trio. But uh, it was nice that that record did finally come out. I don't know, ten fifteen. Did they do it as a later. split? Like they had vocalists on both of them, like a double CD or something? Exactly. They just released both versions, and they're both okay. great. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing that you know how original Ted Poley really is. There's nobody that sounds like that. He just kind of, no. and it's rare to, for a singer to come along that just kind of has his own thing. And Paul, I'm not to you know, denigrate Paul Lane because he's got a killer voice, but he's definitely got. Right. You can hear a bit of Coverdale. You can hear some of these influences. But uh, Ted is, is very, but I love Paul too. But, uh, but I, I thought know. Ted was kind of no, kind no of bad a, blood here. But yeah, I, I know you're saying big, Ted sounds still yeah. original. I mean, he's singing. I don't yeah. know if you heard the latest Tokyo Motorfest. I haven't heard about him. I'm aware of those guys. So I'll, have to, I'll have to check that check out. out. Yeah, Steve, Steve, Steve Brown's is, amazing, man. He's a great he is player. Another guy that he should be a bigger guitar player. I mean, yeah, obviously maybe. he's recognized. He's a sixth member of you know, Def Leppard when, when somebody's sick. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. I know he you was there to get that gig. You don't suck to get. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, so, for sure. But then you, you you move into a different style. So earlier, before you went to the metal, were you kind of a bluesy guy? Well, I started. Like I started. Off, I didn't. Well, playing. it's just it's it's part it's part of the whole fabric of of rock, basically. Because yeah, I, I, rock and roll is it comes from the blues. So, but when I was first learning how to play guitar, it was all seventies rock. You know, from oh, okay from Nugent to Kiss to Rush to to you know uh, Ario and Foghat. All the seventies, you know, arena rock bands, and so that was my foundation. And Pat Travers and Pat Thrall, so that that all was the foundation. But then I started getting into guys like Steve Lukather and uh, Larry Carlton, and eventually Mike Stern. I was going, it's you know, blues is a thread through all of it, but it's straight rock, and there's a lot of jazz eventually that happens. You know, I, I studied classical for a couple of years, my first two years of college, and then I. Uh, Moved to Miami where I was a jazz major at U of M, and uh, through all that, maintaining my rock, you know, passion and love. But it, I was getting the influences from a lot of different places, and that, yeah. and that's how if you're ever gonna, you know, eventually have your own style, if you just focus on one thing, you know, you, you might establish your your vibe in that in that genre. But for me, what really you know spoke to me, I just I just love anything that you know with guitar in it i wanted to i wanted to know how to do it because uh, i just i just love the sound so so there's country in there there's and there's a lot of uh, blues came later you know the straight blues came later after stevie ray passed away and i went back and i you know started studying you know albert king and and some of the guys that really influenced him but i heard you know i heard bb king growing up for sure but i didn't really try to emulate him or get what's interesting because coming from out of danger danger you went from that almost according to the pawn kings and doing that stuff and then your solo stuff and like you really yeah it's, it's a stark difference within like a year sounds and that's not something you just pick up overnight like i want to be a blue, no you know that's right 
No, that's 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 very perceptive because I was doing all that before Danger Dan. Right, that's what I thought. I was yeah. It's, it's funny. It's kind of I, I kind of call it coming full circle. By the time I got back to Danger Danger, because it started with Kiss and that kind of music, then I went into more adult, maybe you know you might want to call it, but like fusion and jazz. I would say fusion jazz is the word I was going to use. And then all things like that, but then the Danger Danger thing. You know, I, I got offered the Tower of Power gig the same time I got offered Danger Danger, and I could have gone either way. Oh, that would have been a hard you choice, know. actually. It was a hard choice. Um, so, you know, that the, the, the road... I the, mean, the Danger Danger is probably way more fun for a young man than Tower of Power would be. Well, you, know, you never know, but I was I was equipped to, to do either, and I just I kind of... The, the lure, you know, of MTV and all that... That's what I I'm think. saying. I mean, it's kind of fun to be a party band yeah well yeah i was i was young enough and old enough to know you know so i guess i was in my mid-20s so it was it was it was really good timing it was a great education on a lot of levels um but especially business-wise you know how i conducted my career after after that and it's kind of witnessing the, the major label scene as it existed at that time you know because you think you growing up you think well that's the holy grail you know mm -hmm. i gotta be in a band you gotta get signed you know and I, I, I realized within the first year, I was like, this has nothing to do with what I really want to do. It, it was that stark of a, oh, wow, okay. So well, while, you're, while it was going on, probably by the yeah, second album, you're again, like... Well, by the second I mean, it was kind of maybe a little later than that, but especially when, you know, I, I just saw the decisions being made at the label about other people, other bands and stuff. And just it's just, a, it's, just a, it's just a big corporate business. And of course, that's what it is. But... I'm just a small town kid that just really wanted to play guitar and, and, and get as, get as good as I could get. And that's still how I, that's what still drives me to this day. It was never about fame. It was never about money, even though it was nice at that time to kind of get the smallest bit of taste of what, you know, notoriety and a little bit of fame and what that was like. It was a great education. Like, Oh, okay. It's not easy to deal with. It's not always fun. And okay. That's not really what I'm about. So but what better time to get that education up front? Not really up front, but mid twenties. But you know what I'm saying? It was just like it really kind of helped me find out who I was. You know, not I was happy to do that band because I was really a team player, and I can still be that guy. I like I like being in bands where I'm just I really need to fill a particular thing. Like when I I, did, I was with the Livy Newton John for 15 years. Very cool. And it wasn't my gig to go be shred guy. It was my gig to how can I help her shine in the way that the fan coming in wants to hear her you know and well, i was the music, John, I, who cares whatever she I was, needs i was i was the music i was the music director so i got to kind of help you know really form that i had a great band you know for for all all those years it was it was an honor to to do that and it was just enough because i was doing her band i was doing simon phillips's band again talk yeah. about bookends of of challenges but I, I would say that it, it, they're just as challenging in, in their own way. Like, you know, it'd be pretty tough to find one guy could, that could do those. I'm not tooting my own horn, but it's true. It's like no, 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 Olivia's stuff is not that easy to do it authentically and really properly and with the right, the right respect and reverence and sounds. It's, it's not easy. So I took, I took a lot of pride in that. And, uh, of course, with her recent passing, it's all more poignant that, uh, you know, that she's no longer here. And it's just it's really sad. But, uh, man, she did a lot of good in her time, you know. She did I'm so really proud to uh, proud to be with her. Yeah. How how is um like songwriting for you changed? Because I assume you hmm. 
do a lot of your own songwriting now, obviously. We're talking about your, yeah, uh, your, sure. your newest album. Did you do mm-hmm. any writing also like early on with the rock stuff, or did you really start doing more of your own writing like when you no, started I was, doing the podcast? I was writing and... when I was in grade school. <laughs> you know, I've always been always writing riffs and writing tunes. You know, there's a there's a song on um, on my the first record that Steve I put on on his uh, favorite nations label of mine called uh, That Was Then This Is Now starts mm-hmm. off with a song called Super Seventies, and the song starts off with it's me in my bedroom when I'm fifteen writing a tune you know it's it's and it's almost the same song as i found the cassette really? tape after i wrote this just like well this is kind of because it was like it was kind of todd rundgren you know in super 70s is it's the same chord change it's like you know one major seven to four major seven it's like so yeah, it's, it's the process has always been guitar in hand, you know, riffs come or driving down the road, I might hear a melody, sing it into the cassette recorder, the phone these days. It, but I've always had a very active, creative mind. I had a band when I was in uh, high school, and early college called Taylor Bay. We, I grew up at Evansville, Indiana. And so we, you know, I made my first record when I was still, still in high school, you know, or, or just about to graduate high school, you know, where I was co-writer on all the tunes. And so it's always been a part of my uh, my DNA to want to create, to want to write. But as as you grow as a musician, of course, your writing grows along with that because mm-hmm. it's all that tool shed of all the things that you learn and all the all the things that you love. I talk a lot about this in a. a I did a course for a company called True Fire, where my first course was called um, Electric Expression. I'm just kind of yep. discussing my processes for playing, but I was, then I did one called Melodic Muse, and it gets to the um, the core of, you know, how do you, how does a song, where, where does the inspiration come from for songwriting? And that that also is improvisation, because improvisation is basically songwriting in real time. You're trying to create something that you want to hear. Well, how do you get to the point of, like, when? how do you know what you want to hear? And so I, I really think that it's this collection of musical experiences and I had to come up with a term because there wasn't a term that I could find that described it and I call it the oralect meaning the intellect of the ear right the, okay. all the all the things that you've taken in through your life and that have influenced you and that have moved you emotionally and musically you know that gets stored away in some ways I, mean, I, I always you know reference the Beatles and like how do these guys write this you know incredible body of work in, in that Gosh, short years. period of time you know but they learned they learned an incredible amount of music you know when they were gigging in hamburg it's legendarily like eight to ten hours a night you know they ran out of chuck berry and buddy holly pretty quick but they were starting to learn to show tunes they heard in their parents record collection you know till there was you and things like that right with a lot more chord changes and melodies that were a little different than chuck berry and buddy holly right um so when it came time to create their own music, they had much more than just the three chord rock and roll that had preceded them. They used to have right. all these other tools of, you know, more advanced chords possibly, and just that that kind of uh, inspiration. So you have to be careful that you're not like taking literally, because there, there are there are moments in their in their catalog where you go, oh shoot, that's this song that this guy, you know, five years, ten years earlier yeah. recorded, you know. Uh, so. But it, it that is what drives all of us as a songwriter. The more you experience and the more you learn and the deeper you go, it's going to affect, you know, what what you want to create. Because it's I think we're just trying to create stuff that we love as much as the greats in our, in in our in our estimation. Like for me, that's Brian Wilson, that's Chopin, that's John and Paul and George and Ringo and and uh, everybody that's come before that has written just a great mm-hmm. melody and a great tune. That's all. It, it all gets stored in there. 
And that's, I'm just trying to get that to come out in my own way well, and, have, and have an effect like that, you know? Oh, and it has. And I think uh, that's the whole thing for me, like stylistically, when you went right from Danger Danger into the Pond King stuff, yeah. it was so different. Because, I mean, Danger yeah. Danger was... Well, Pond King uh, came uh, later. My first record was Your Ecstasy. Is that Your Ecstasy? Okay. Oh, yeah. Man, Your Ecstasy order, was but... first... Yeah, that's okay. But Pond Kings might have been not not long after that. But all the Your Ecstasy stuff was being recorded during Danger Danger. I was writing all that when I was still in Danger Danger because I was, you know, really happy to be in this, okay. you know, rock band again with a vocalist and being that guy. But then again, even before that, I was already recording instrumental because Satriani had come along and said, you know, kind of showing us the way like, yeah, just write a great tune and play your ass off. You know, I'm like, yeah, we like that. So, you know, that's that's where my heart really was. I liked being the team player, but I also really just wanted to play the music that that I wanted that was in my heart, you know. Right. So that well, I think that's what it was to yeah, me. I saw that I heard the Pond King probably before that. Yeah. You know, okay, so yeah, me, was, so that established yeah, before. I got and I was you. like, oh, wait, he does the same guy from Danger Danger? And to me, <laughs> that's, that felt that's like even more day. stark, yeah, because it's a pretty quirky, that's a pretty quirky record. It was just, yeah, yeah, we weren't well, taking you, it, too, we weren't taking it too serious. There's some good stuff on there, but it's right. just different. But you, you know? but you always want to, even your newest album, I'll talk about that for a minute now, yeah, um, is Electric Truth, yeah, it's 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 very balanced, but you still have yeah. a lot of different things you, you do, you do jazz fusion, you do. Yeah. Your rockers. You have a song on there that Brian Adams could sing, and it would be a, a big ballad. And it's, <laughs> I forgot the name of the song off the top of my head. I, you know what it is, too. It's if you fail or something, I can't think of the name of the uh, top of my head. Oh, oh there's that the instrumental when words fail. That's the one. That could be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would, could be like a huge monster song <laughs> with some, like, you know what I mean? That yeah, is well, I'm happy, I'm happy that it is what it is. I don't need it's a beautiful. monster That's a beautiful song. song. I, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, that's And that's exactly the, what the title refers to is like yeah you could put lyrics to it but it's not going to be as deep as that melody is what i'm saying is it feels epic like that like it could be a huge you know that, I mean? yeah and it's it's the the thing i love about instrumental music is that language is finite it's there's you know there's only so many words so to speak and depending on how, how crafty the uh who's putting it together is but you know me the, the a melody in the hands of of, a, of an expressive player can can go quite a bit deeper than the written language. So when words fail, kind of refers to that. And basically, because most people, you know, when trying to communicate, don't necessarily do the, a, a good a job as they could, and things go wrong when when the words fail. So I just kind of thought, well, this this let this let the melody speak and uh, and get to the heart of the matter. You know, I think it's Hopefully. beautiful without words. I, I actually like thank a lot of, you. I like a lot of music without actually vocals, especially yeah. the older I get. I'm like. Yeah. Not always necessary. I mean, I still like the rock songs; they're fun. Yeah, but or the or, or, or 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 a good lyricist like you know uh, Elvis Costello is one of my all-time favorite writers. Yes. If you get somebody that actually has a command of the language, it can be it can be great. You know, and he's he's a guy that I really admire and look up to. His name comes sure. up a lot in the show with a lot of artists. We, I was just talking about like yesterday. We were talking about the um, he has so many good songs. The wheels, the wheel, the spinning wheel he has on the stage for the song. Yeah, the song exactly. I just saw him in New York. I made a trip to New York uh, last month to see George Benson played one night, and then Elvis and, and the Imposters played the next night. So I like <gasps> got to see the bookends of two of my favorite artists of all time, and they were both incredible. George Benson was seventy nine, and wow. just sing, singing so great and playing so great. You know, just so beautiful to see him, so inspiring. That's fantastic. Yeah. Elvis really too. Elvis's last record is called A Boy Named If, and I think it's as good, if not better. And maybe I can't say that, but it's like it's top five Elvis records for me. It's it's he's a guy that has not lost a beat of I mean, he's getting kind of getting better, sweeter, sweeter with age, as they say. 
I haven't yeah. heard that one yet. I've heard Pretty, yeah, a lot of highly, movies. Highly so recommend, I, I've listened to it probably a hundred times. I'm not exaggerating. It's like, it just was on loop for several weeks after it came out. I was like, all right. This, it, the band sounds incredible. It's still Pete Thomas on drums and it's still uh, Steve Naive on keyboards. And the guy, Danny Farragut playing bass, who's taken, uh, um, oh, the other Thomas, Bruce Thomas's place. Uh, he sounds great, you know. So a really That's amazing crazy. band. Incredible. I get to see him yet. Yeah, yet. you should go see those guys. Yeah. So right now with you, your your album just came out a couple months ago, was it? It was a long ago. April April, April 1st. <laughs> yeah. Funny. What's the plan with it With now that things are opening up? Are you going to do any kind of promotion well, for it? or? It's interesting. Um, I'm most, of the, most of the promotion I'm doing is just online at the moment, really. And the record was a lot of fun for me to do because it was... You know, I, the the whole thing happened because I just I uh, become friends with Josh Smith, this great guitar player. Uh, he's currently he tours all the time now with Joe Bonamassa, and they're they're producing a lot of tunes together. Oh, wow. Josh is an incredible kind of started off as a blues player, but then kind of got a hold of Danny Gatton and Robin Ford and all all the great blues and rock players, and just an incredible player. So I was just seeing him online. I was just watching. I'd see YouTube videos that kind of come into your feed, like, man, this guy sounds incredible. So I got his number, and we met. Just and I just want to say, man, I just want to tell you I really love your playing. He says, you know, well, hey, man, I, I just finished my recording studio out in L.A., you know, come record. And, you know, as things go in the business, a lot of times, like, hey, man, let's get together. Yeah, right. sure. And, of course, it never happens. But something just told me, like, this guy's serious, and I really want to work with him. So uh, whenever that was, it's somewhere in you know, mid-2019, we realized, well, I'm, I'm coming out to the NAM show. This would have been January 2020. Yeah, man, just come out a couple of days early and we'll record at my studio. Then we both had, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, commitments at NAM. So we had two and a half days to try to record the record. And I bet the, the, the basic arrangement was I wasn't going to use my band. I said, let's you produce it, Josh. You pick the players. Every time I, I see you, you know, the band you always have is great. Just you produce. I'll come out. We'll, we'll both write tunes and just see what, see what happens. You know, I had no idea I was going to go. And we literally got most of the record done in that two and a half days. And wow. then I was going to come back in March to finish the record. March 2020, if you recall, uh, nobody went anywhere because that's right when the, the lockdown happened. And so I just finished it here in this room you see me in now, my recording studio. Um, I just I, I finished up the several tracks that needed to be finished up. And then we just kind of mixed it over the pandemic back and forth. And. So it was kind of handy when things started opening up and loosening up that I had this record kind of ready to go because I hadn't hadn't had any, um, uh, you know, any progress with the, the next Andy Timmons band record, which there's a bunch of material written for that. And some of it started. So that's just been kind of an ongoing thing that we need to get back to. But it was handy to have this record. And just because it was extremely spontaneous, there's some of the tracks on that are just live as we played it, like the, the first track, EWF. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the only overdub is maybe a little percussion, you know after the fact but it's just live as we were reacting to each other we hadn't ever played together it was a great band with uh, lamar carter on drums travis carlton on bass and uh, darren johnson on keyboards and josh only plays on on one track um but sounds amazing on it plays the best damn solo on the record so he plays on a song called johnny t but it's kind of you know because josh's thing is more bluesy and funky and r&b-ish you know that's it brought that flavor out of my writing but also in my playing because of the way the band plays you know that's the beauty of working with with different peoples that it, everybody you play with is going to bring a different part of your personality out you know if it if it's there to be brought out but i have so much 
experience in so many different styles that that's what's nice about, oh, yeah, okay, I know what to do here. <laughs> Instead of my left to my own devices, I'm going to write what I'm going to write, and that's cool. But anyway, it just it, turned out to be a really happy project for me. It's cool. And it's, I think as a fan of the outside, it's confusing because you'd be like, you, like you did the Beatles mm. thing, you know, then yeah. Andy Timmons, yeah. what, and, that, and that was awesome. Like he feels yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and then you have the Andy Timmons band, and then of course you're, you know, by the big song. And the song I probably got into you and as a guitar player wanted to learn mm. first off was, you know, Electric Gypsy. You're, 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 oh, you're yeah. The, 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 a little Hendrixy, the. That one this is, is kind of surprised me how much spread that song gets. It really just connects it with hits people for some reason. An emotional yeah. thing. Yeah. When you just you know? feel it like when you hear that riff, it's just like it's the best. You know? Well, it's, it was just it was it was a spontaneous thing that happened at a jam session. When I was still living in Queens when I was in Danger Danger and I wrote it um in the living room where I used to jam with the other guys that lived in the house, who was uh Casey Smith, the guitar uh the keyboard player in Danger Danger. But his brother was a really great drummer that also lived there. So he and I were just jamming one day and that riff just came and I was reading this biography about Jimi Hendrix at the time called Electric Gypsy. I said, Well there's my title <laughs> you know. And, but yeah, I'm honored that you that you dug that and wanted to check that out. But I, well, and I still I still love playing it. It's just a good Hendrixy kind of vibe. Yeah. I like I like the not only that. What really is funny is about five years ago I started playing guitar horribly compared to someone like you. <laughs> it's all right. Well, <laughs> I'm the best guy in my room. It's a it's a journey, man. We never get there, you know. When I play guitar, I'm the second best person in the room, and that's if no one else is in there. Hey, no, no, right, no. I'm well. serious though. Like the point is, like, I but number two is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Runner up. But yeah. there's no one else. Um, is yeah, well. like what I've learned as I learn songs from the best. The funniest things are how hmm. be boring is how the songs actually put together. You're like that's smart. Oh, you know yeah. the chord progression and yes. that chord progression, the way you, yeah. the fingering and the sound, the way you do that, yeah, is really smart and it's it's, well, it's really you. inventive and and it stands up besides just the melody, like just how it's put together. Sure, sure. is something that well, really. Well, and that, it, just... Isn't that the isn't that the beauty though that, that you took the time to learn it and that's that's what sticks with you and again that's like I'm talking about Lennon and McCartney they got in there and they and they start you start to recognize oh the, I know that's cool I hear that's a that I, I'll hang on to that you know and and that's how you grow not only as a player but your ear grows and as you start to write your own stuff the, all these things get stored away and so that's 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 truly a, a wonderful thing to do to just get in there and well, yeah. look under the hood a little bit you know. It's given me. I love music. Obviously, I have a show on it. But yeah, like right. when I take a song like that, or and I take a song and I break it apart, there's songs yeah. that I've heard in the background. Like you, know, like you've heard it, like a song from the Eagles, like a billion times in the radio. Yes. In the elevator. Then you play it on guitar. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like it's you, you it's, play the the music of another artist that maybe even with the, now now I don't even collab to close doors. Now I just yeah. I'll try playing it because there might be something in there I'm not aware of. Like it's just it's the mechanisms of that song is so yeah. different. When yeah, there's some things that you don't realize how clever it is just because we've heard it for so long. It's just like right. a natural thing. Well, like, check yeah. out Schools Out by Alice Cooper and where, where that goes. That's great. You know, there, there's I some like cool, that. they're really, really cool. My, I just saw there's a documentary, uh, kind of a documentary, but concert uh, DVD coming out at the end of September. And it's basically a local record store in Dallas called Good Records. Um, essentially orchestrated the reunion of the remaining members of Alice Cooper's band and Alice. Nice. It was. It started out. It started off as a book signing for the drum uh, for the bass player Dennis Dunaway, yep. and then the guy got well. The the other two surviving members, the the drummer and the the other guitar player, Glenn Buxton, passed away. One of the other guitar players, 
so now the three are coming to do the signing. Oh, maybe they can play a couple tunes. Okay, they're going to play a couple tunes. And Alice Cooper was going to be in town that weekend, you know, with on tour with Motley Crue. So the whole thing, it's just an insane... It it, it it could have never really it, it it couldn't have happened but this guy got it to happen and fortunately they recorded it and pretty well videoed and we saw a screening of it a couple nights ago and it just reminded me of how great those early tunes were 18 under my wheels no more mr nice guy they have a song called desperado not the don henley yeah i, I know desperado. The song. you do so i mean it's some of the greatest sounding oh, early, early 70s rock and it's bob ezrin that produced yeah. destroyer recording this stuff it's like man it's really clever and you just don't realize man okay they were kind of known for their you know androgynous kind of shock rock right. thing that they were doing but man those records sound great and they could not be replicated today there's no, no way just but then the riffs such sound a like very very the riffs you first hear if you're not aware of it kind of, kind of thin it's not like the big bombastic cooper you know now yeah yeah, but then yeah. when you like play them you're like oh i see this is and those guitars are, are surprisingly they're surprisingly clean you know yes. so powerful but you just that's an sg to a marshall but it's not all distorted it's just it's really but that makes it so much fatter and larger and and the thing so there's a like lot there's a lot to, to learn though from those yeah a lot yeah. to learn man yeah. once again it's what you learn that's what's so exciting yeah. for me that's why I like yeah and so i'm like here's other ones that you hear that yeah. it's just it's, it's it's good it's good songwriting to it down to <laughs> hopefully yeah hopefully so well i yeah, think i think it is next it. you know thank you man that's pretty awesome um <laughs> thank you. i just wanted to pick your brain a little bit tonight and talk yeah. a little bit of this and you know you know a little short period of talk that's all um, right man happy to go wherever you want to go man well i'm glad we could actually i actually forget this i have one i actually have one one question on danger danger i wanted to ask you at the beginning sure sure i i, I don't think i've ever heard the answer to this the, the name of the band and then always yeah. doing the the bang bang naughty naughty <laughs> exactly who did where'd that come from was that uh that that was thought out thing i mean it worked for you guys i have no idea if there was any because again i when i came in and joined the band that first record was already recorded and they were about to go in and remix the record they had done the record it was mixed they weren't happy with the final mixes but all along, you know, um, the original guitar player um, left the band as they started recording. They got a studio guy to come in, Tony Bruno, to do the record. And so by the time I joined, they, they were they were just doing kind of like a cattle call, you know, accepting tapes in the mail from players. And somebody recommended me, Buddy Blaze, actually from Kramer Guitars, got a hold of my demo tape that my first instrumental called "It's Getting Better," and that tape got into their hands. I got you know, uh, offered to come up and audition. I did and, and got the gig, but, um, so, but I did get to record a couple of solos on the record. So I, I made it on the first record just under the wire, but by then all that had been, so I, I, I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to ask Steven Bruno about that. Cause I had nothing to do with those original titles and, and the band name. So it was, I, trust me, I got asked about it a lot. Uh-huh. Naughty, naughty, bang, bang, danger. But I really don't, uh, I don't really know the answer to that. It never really hung too high to me because to me, they feel like obvious questions. But I think, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe so, I, but. But then, like, looking back at songwriting, talking about it, yeah. it feels like in that time period, was it, because it could have been put together because it worked. You're like, oh, that's the band with all the titles. Oh, we're, <laughs> we're talking about that band. It must be working then. It might, it might be. And, 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 I, and I'm sure that, or it could just that, that might have had. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could answer, you know, definitively for you, but. I I, I, really, I really don't know. I'm just thinking though. There was a there was a song called Naughty Naughty Prior by a guy named John Parr, but there was also uh, yeah. a song by by Sonny and Cher called Bang Bang. So uh, actually, we can go further than that one. Now, the, you yeah. guys was it the Monkey Business album? Yeah, released that single Monkey Business around the same time Skid Row had Monkey Business. 
That was an issue. I think I think their management, who would have been Doc McGee, I think contacted us about, hey, you guys can't do that. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it, that it was it was complete coincidence. But that yeah, we were we were aware of that. We were aware yeah, of that. Yeah, that one and there's a couple songs titles on there that sound like very familiar, like other popular rock songs in that genre at the time. It, I, yeah, I you know. Yeah, I, I, I I'm sure there's not. An, I'm pretty sure there's not another one called Slipped or the Big One. <laughs> no, no. Find me no. that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no it's. Uh... <laughs> but in Monkey Business was it a happened. sound. It was very commercially sounding. It was a, it was a great pop song. Yeah, so catchy. You, it was you know? all right. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think I still I still think about you as a nice tune on that record and find your way home. Oh, and actually, beat the bullet. I thought was a really nice track. Oh, beat the bullet. Did that remind me of a, a vein? Beat the bullet. Well, there you go. Well, there, there was a couple songs that just stood out. Well, I know a lot of songs, so and to me, I'm like, there, well, that you know, and I do remember Vane having a tune called "Beat the Bull." So, yeah, there you Wait, go. I can tell you what, all your all your stuff. I can't, yeah. I can't name a single thing. <laughs> well, okay. Well, the, uh, I was like, I was just saying my first tune. It's getting better. So that's there's a Beatles song. So there is that. All right. Well, that's that. No. That was that was not on purpose for sure. How but, can you uh, not write a song that's going to have something at one point goes back to the Beatles? Because the Beatles pretty much hit every every territory out there. It, yeah. There's there's going to be some unfairly uh, for everybody else. Com- yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's going to be some common ground there. Let's just say. That's yeah. yeah. Um, actually, at the end, I'm, some, I'm a super Beatles fan. Oh, let's good, talk about right that on. Beatles album you do. I mean, sure. Yeah, if you can look, I don't know if you can see behind me. Down say what? If you look low, that's a Lego George Harrison face. Oh, nice. Oh, that's Legos? Yeah, it's Legos. And that's a you know, submarine and Lego right there. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Right yeah. on. I didn't know they did be- Beetle Legos, but Yeah, they sense. have a whole small set of them. You can do pictures of them. Cool. Yeah, the Beatles thing was just an incredible, almost a happy accident in a way. My my band was doing Strawberry Fields. Uh, I, had, I had an arrangement of that that we were doing. And it was going over really mm-hmm. well on tours. And I was in Italy. And our promoter was like, oh, man, next time you come back, you should do a whole night of Beatles because he was seeing how the crowd was really responding to it. And I really I really felt like that's kind of an impossible thing, you know, but it it was that common that got my wheels turned. Well, what if I did this song and this song and just kind of spilled in, into you know, I finally when I finally got to. Oh, good Lord, that's noisy. Hold on. <laughs> when I found Lucy in the sky, I said, that really works. That's mm-hmm. okay. So that I, I kind of went that direction. Then it then one day it was just like, well, what if I could play the whole Sergeant Pepper record? But it was never about, Oh, I'm going to record this record. I just, I just, it was kind of a hobby. And I literally spent a couple of years. Once I'd made that decision, I just kind of chipping away at it. I'd, I'd, I'd work on a song and kind of just figure out how I was going to try to do it. And I was going to do it, you know, I was doing it in a way that I'd done the resolution record where I was, you know, I was going to be able to play the tune and, you know, have every, every part represented that would present the song and where everybody mm-hmm. would, would know it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So just kind of replicating as I hear the record in my head, everything in a linear fashion, you know, whether it's the, the melody or the vocal or the orchestration, whatever, whatever it might be. And that was kind of the game. And it was really just kind of a hobby where I was just going after all these tunes until one day I could sit and play the whole record top to bottom. So we were recording in the studio, the Andy Timmons band, we were working on what became the theme from a perfect world record. And um, the engineer let us know he was originally going to have to cut out after a couple of days, but we got pretty much everything we needed to get recorded. But he said, Hey man, my other sessions got canceled out of town. I got two extra days. What other songs you got? I didn't have anything, but my drummer, uh, Mitch Marine. So what about those Beatles arrangements you were talking about? Mike, it's like, let's do it. We got a couple of days. And so that's how it kind of, 
Oh, really? It, it took that that kind of goading from somebody to get to give me the courage to do it because I don't think I would have thought it was possible to really do it well enough to put it out. And even after we'd done, we did the basic tracks, you know, in, a, in two and a half days. Mitch Mitch knew the tra- the original material well enough, and I'd done all the arrangements thinking about how he'd play it. You know, he's okay, got he's so. got the feel of Ringo, but a modern sound, right? So he was the perfect guy to do it. And then, so I got about, I kept about half of my tracks that I did live and the other half took a year, just, just the way it went, you know, um, either you get it on the first take or it takes a year, but it, there was a lot of just, you know, tuning and trying to get everything right. And even through that process, there were m- multiple times where I just thought this is not, this isn't working. Like, no, this isn't working. Right. Because it, it had to be of a very high level to, to, to have the, the the balls to put it out, to be honest, it's like because I'm I'm not a really I'm not a real big fan of Beatle cover records, you know. I just, I think it's a slippery uh, slope. Either you can do it good, but then if you cover it too much, to me it's boring. And to me, yeah, it feels yeah. like you're, it feels to me, and I could be wrong. I mean, I, I, I talking, yeah. I feel like I'm right, but you guys are having fun with it, and it honors yeah. it in a way where it's yeah. having fun, but it's also playing it to to you how you're hearing it, representing it, and doing your best to put it out there. And to me, that's how it feels. And it's, it think, works. Th- thank you. And it's it's I think the key and why it why it why it ended up working was that we didn't try to reinvent the wheel so much. You know, sometimes people can get a little over creative. The only thing the one cover I really love was uh, um, Earth, Wind and Fire's version of Got to Get You Into My Life. You know, that okay. that was that really worked great. That was. You know, but people start changing chords and reharmonizations. Mm-hmm. But it was basically let's just let's let me be the singer on the guitar, and right. just everybody everybody else is kind of playing what you know what was there originally. But but as we play together, as we're a power trio, you know, and so that that and that that was also the key too. Is like I wasn't trying to overdub every individual part because I'm playing it in that linear fashion and just. I can't play it all at the same time, but I'm going to give you enough to where you're not missing anything. You know what I mean? At least that was my goal. And, and again, even, even, even when we got it to the point where, okay, let's, let's put this out. It wasn't really about a commercial thing for me, even though you hope people dig it. I was just most thrilled about sending it to my brothers or my favorite players that are, you know, friends of mine, but my Mm -hmm. heroes, like, you know, getting it to Steve Lukather or whoever, and and Steve Vai, he was going to put it on his label and having these guys just kind of freak out on it going, man, I can't believe what you did, you know. And that that was really the, the, the people that that grew up with the record like I had, that it was just in their DNA. It's so such a part of our musical fabric. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was to me, that was the success of it. And that's just, you know, that's what has always driven me. You want the approval of your your close friends and your and your and your peers, you know, and, and your heroes, hopefully at some point. And, well, that's what it is. In that regard, it, to yeah. me, it's clearly you got you were a good player. So being a good well, player, and it wasn't being like overplayed with sterile. It was a, well, it was like a, definitely a, a celebration of you celebrating the music in your way. Thank and, you. and that's the slippery slope because it can't always be like that. There's some bands and players I love. Yeah, that have done some Beatles songs, and I'm and it's I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, you get like American Idol, like that's a no for me, dog. And it's yeah. not that it's bad. It just feels like it's missing something. Like it's but it was it, too it hard. Was it, it was exactly that a labor of love that that's for that's a good way to put it and it was it was a joyful celebration and i gotta say so gratifying to you know a to to attempt that material but to get to the point where like yeah this feels great 
you know, this really feels natural. It feels like it's working. It was a real special, special thing to, to, to have done that, you know? So I remember, I remember getting the record to Elliot Easton from the cars. Right. Yeah. And I, and I didn't know Elliot before. I just, I think I found him on Facebook or something. And he, I know how big a Beatles fan he is. So man, I'd love, I'd love him to hear it. And he, he checked it out and he, and he really dug it. But he says, well, I want you to do the, the white album next. Cause I want to hear how you do revolution nine. <laughs> that would be, that would be a challenge, Elliot. Thank you for that. But uh, I mean, again, that's, that's the, the juice that just kind of keeps you going when you get the little nod of approval from the, the, the players that you love so much, you know, that's, and, but I'm thinking, you're right. You're still a fan of music, so it's, it shows. Oh, it's a, that's what makes it more fun. I think you know people don't always realize that. It's you know what I mean. Yeah. A lot of the players are fans, are bigger oh, fans of, of other musicians than, than than you are, like yeah. yourself. The fans it's, of, of that artist, you have no idea. Yeah, I think I you think in any any artist that gets to that level, they had to have obsessed hard over certain players or bands. And it's still, you know, it's, it's that thing that any music you were into at a certain age, you know what I mean? Especially in your teens or even before that, you know, it's, it gets inside you in a, in a much different way. And it just, I think it just stays with you forever. So whenever you go back to that, it can really be this that's, wonderful, it's this old friend, you know? That's the hard part though, because that, that becomes the DNA of that time period. That's, the, yeah. It's usually your teens and people don't want, they want the yeah. band, any type of music to be that. That was my band in this disco. That was my band here. This was my time period because yeah. that was like their mid early teens to that early 20s that's their freedom period that's and everything right. they have in their life that was not full responsibility exactly. is tagged to those songs it's tagged that's the and music the artists are that, changing right? and growing and it's, there's no difference in fact some of these artists make better albums now yeah i didn't yeah, change yeah. but i'm not an ordinary person yeah. that listens to um like right. you know and i'm a little more into the artist's yeah. full albums and i keep following them mostly of you know course. and i, I yeah, like when yeah. an artist is something different an artist can be a, do a stinker of an album that I wouldn't prefer, and I, prefer, I respect I, him. I respect. I that. prefer that. Like Rungren's that way for me. Where I don't love everything that he does, but I freaking love that he does it. You know, just because you, an artist, and that because you can look at my body of work, and it's like it's all over the map sometimes. But I'm hoping that you know the the whatever fan base I have will go. Yeah, okay. Well, that wasn't my cup of tea, but we'll wait to the, wait yeah. for the next. Wait for the next one. Around. Yeah, I mean Elvis too. I haven't I haven't dug every one of. Elvis Costello's records, but God, you got to grow and you got to, you got to go where your heart's telling you to go. And it's different now. And I think artists, at least, you know, those that are kind of, you know, more independent, it's more about that than trying to back back in the danger, danger days. There was a lot more of like, you know, trying to figure out what was going to be commercial, what's going to sell and all that. So, you know, ever since I left that part of the world, I, I never, looked back or never wanted to consider anything for any other purpose, but doing what I really love and what I want to do. There's a handful yeah. of guys like you that were in the, the pop area for 10 seconds and enjoyed it, but were yeah. already serious guitar players that had a different right. mindset. Yeah. Like you, Richie Kotzen, oh, yeah. um, Blue Saracino, like these guys yeah. came in, they did, they did some fun, <laughs> fun, fun tours with Poison or whatever. Yeah. They didn't do it again. Now they want to go back to the blues and the soul and the R&B yeah. of those guys. Or, well, those, you know those, those two you just named two really incredible players man yeah they are they're top, are, top of the heat in my yep. book yeah blues is hilarious blues was on the show oh nice and, uh, okay he's told i don't know him well but yeah he's he's a he's a cool dude we've, we've crossed he paths a couple times he's from around here actually in connecticut and, uh, okay i was huh. saw the same Van halen show one time too but i obviously didn't know each other then yeah. but yeah he uh he's another phenomenal the point is he also the same school of yeah. just into the guitar and not the party yeah. world and and just playing other kind of music and writing just it's it's a different animal 
Yeah. Know? It's nice to see a bunch of people that came out from that area of music. Yeah, all, exactly. That rock yeah. time that all just evolved yeah. and they didn't get sucked down. You just kept playing music. Right. Right. Well, that's the thing. I think each, each of us, those those guys, and I'm, maybe I'm in the same way, where we were at a pretty a significant level of playing before those opportunities came along. But you got to understand, for no matter how advanced a player is, sometimes you know you may not get the kind of exposure that you would get by being in, in more of a more commercial band. And so I think for all of us, that was probably the allure. For me, I had already been turned down by Relativity Relativity Records at the time. That they were the, the that was the label that put out Vi and Satriani stuff, mm -hmm. so you know it, I, I actually I, interned for them. I interned for them. Oh, did you really? Okay, I've been well, Vi that way. Oh, fantastic! So, yeah, so yeah. you know, I I it, I'm, wasn't like brimming with self confidence at any point in my life, but especially then. And oh, the you know they've already got a Vi and Satriani. I was told, okay, well that makes sense. And so that's when, when that opportunity for something like Danger Danger came along. I thought, well, this might be, this might be my only chance, you know. So, but again. It was the best thing I could have done, yeah. no doubt about it. I was very fortunate to get the opportunity. I love the guys dearly. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But but then again, there we go. I found I, I discovered a bit more about what it was I really wanted out of a career and of my life and, you know, discovered a bit more about who I was as a person. So Right. I think, yeah, that's what is the personalities. Yeah. All you guys have different personalities that weren't just going for the rock band career yeah. thing. You guys yeah. are just like guitarists that were already centered. Yeah, I think so. I think that's I think the difference. Too, you know what I mean? That 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 could be. So we were all happy to once once we had the dalliance with whatever that was. Then yeah, we just, just go back going. to we're still going, you know. And it's right. it's I'm I'm so happy that I I still feel like I'm growing on a daily basis. You know, it, it keep, keeps pushing towards you know what I feel. I've got I've, listen. I've got potential. <laughs> you know, I've got I'm nowhere close to where I want to be, but it's like let's just keep going. And if you can, once I figured out that that's really what makes me happy is just honoring whatever gift I've got. But if I'm, if I'm working at it every day, you know, cause there'd be periods in my life where life takes over. You're not like mm -hmm. practicing two, three hours a day, like you were, you know, or more when you're growing up, the further you get away from that though, for me, I started realizing, even though I was always playing, I just realized that's the happy place. You know, when I'm really trying at least, you know, pushing towards growth and, and, and just trying to feed that, musician student part of me being the student is, is at least i found in my life that's when i'm really the happiest otherwise I, I i was always feeling like oh man yeah well i'm not i'm not i'm not where i should be or i'm not you know i'm not as good today as i know i could be but now that i've, I've gotten back into that i just make sure at least first thing every day i'm going to play for an hour no matter no matter what some days you know if you're getting up to go to the airport at five it's not going to happen but i'll play at the airport you know but it's like when I got into more of a consistent thing, like I had been when I was in school in my teens and early twenties, okay, that's when I, that's a more happy spot for me. And I'm very happy to, you know, be in, in the regular habit of that now. And it's, it's really been good songwriting gets better as you get older. You don't have to shred so much to, to write a good song. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's songs on my first record. There are, there are no words, you know, there's another, another words title of an instrumental song. That's right. there's zero, zero shred. There's, you know, it, so it wasn't always about that, though. That record, I will admit, was like it was kind of like, look what right. I can do. You know, well, I'll talk about like, there was, well, all, all the same thing. All the artists yeah. go through the same thing. It's like you don't have yeah. to do that coming from that that time True. period. Is what I'm saying. You can just yeah, uh, you, yeah. you continually evolve as a songwriter. You chase the song and not the solo. Yeah, but I, to me, I would argue that the, the, the song was always paramount, even though 
it was definitely an element like I'd been in danger, danger. I kind of felt like I had to prove myself in some ways because I was, I, had, I was already kind of in that school, you know, being a fan of Vine, Satriani, mm -hmm. Eric Johnson and Ingve and, and all the, all the really, really great you know, respected virtuoso players. I was, you know, I'm not going to say I was as good, but I was, I was in somewhere on, on the rung of that lower ladder, you know? Um, so yeah, it, that record was, it, you know, it wasn't an all styles demo, but there's, there's hints of that. You know what I mean? It's like, great. And that country too. There's my blues too, you know, yeah. but, but there's good tunes. There's electric gypsy. There's, there are no words, you know, it's cry for you. That's, you know, there's some good songs I mean, you really have, you have a ton of really good songs and they're all yeah, just different. You. It depends on kind of time, kind of mood I'm in, you know, which is my favorite song. It's one of those. Cause you which know, one? No, it doesn't tell what kind of mood I'm in. It just depends which was yeah. my favorite one. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. And that's the because beauty. Because you have so many flavors. That's the the beauty of uh, any artist you can get into if they've done some different stuff. But like I said, I've just been obsessed with the Alice Cooper band this week, and it's just been great. And there's some tunes I hadn't heard, like some, some of the songs on Love It to Death, because I had an older brother who was eight years older than I that, that bought all those records you know, in, at the time. So I remember them on in the house all the time. And... Uh, so, but obviously the, you hear the hits recurrent over the years, but some of those deep cut album tracks I hadn't heard. I was like, man, this is really powerful stuff. And you watch the, when you see this, this re, if you ever watch the, re, the reunion, you know, at the, at the record store DVD oh, when yeah. it comes out in September, yeah, yeah. it's just, this, you see these guys and the camaraderie and the chemistry is instantly there. Like these guys haven't played together in, I don't know, God knows, 30, 30 years, 40 years maybe. And it was freaking outstanding. It's, it's, it's good great. to see that. I like to see that. I mean, I know Alice yeah, is Matt, you just want, one you want, of the nicest guys. You, you just want the now. family to be, you know, get along, right? You know. That's what made me happy with the Beatles, with the get back, when they were all happy together. Uh, isn't that it amazing? Washed away, it washed <sighs> away a lot of things you didn't think, with like Hilco and, 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 and they yeah. playing each other and they got mad. I love no. the fact that um, George got mad and he was going to like leave, quit the band, and they're like, let's just get Clapton in here. Just to bust the stones. That's <laughs> well, hilarious. Yeah. They were they were freaking out. They didn't know how to handle it. You, and, and you know they come back after lunch and they have that kind of avant garde freak out. But that film, what Peter Jackson did for the Beatles and for us, was just magic because it just kind of cleared up so much fallacy and so much. It debunked it all, a, lot of a bunch of myths. What's that? It healed a lot of his fans. That were I really think so. I, I think I think so. And, and, I, and I'd already. I'd already realized after years that Yoko just was not the villain she was made out to be. And when you look at that film, fucking, she's not, you know, she's barely, you know, involved at all. She's just kind of hanging out. And John clearly would not have gone. He was so in love that he wouldn't have gone without her. So, yeah, it had to be, you know, but there's, there's, you know, Linda was there a bunch of the time. Maureen yeah. was there a bunch of the time. So it was just great to see them having so much fun. And even Paul and, and Ringo, re, you know, reacted in the press when they first started seeing the cousin, like, we love each other. We're having a great time. They they bought into the, the myth because if you saw that original film, it is dark and it's depressing. I saw it in the theaters in the 70s. They would pack it together, Hard Day's yeah. Night, and help every now and then in the local theater. And I hated it. I was like, it, it looked dark. They were, it, the, 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 you know, the, the narrative that was edited by the original director, it's, it's all the negative shit. So, of course, it's going to paint that picture. But when you see what Peter Jackson drew, drew out of it and, and the restoration process... Is insane what they made it so bright and vibrant, you know. And watching just, him create like the song, you know, get oh, back, I think, right yeah. there. And how about yeah. giving credit to, 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 to what was it? Paul was playing yeah. the drums, and then Yoko was just yeah. screaming. They were creating the alternative rock right there. That was another genre they just started, right? 
It's totally. Not, I mean, uh, yeah. There's, there's, there's Think a lot of it. that. You know, there was that. She was definitely an influence on the B52s. There's no doubt about that. You well, listen to a lot Rock of stuff Lobster. That people just that. didn't get, and and, and I, it yeah. only the only crime is that this couldn't have come out sooner. That more people yeah. could have seen it. You Especially know, all the artists were alive. You know. Well, yeah, of course, it would have been nice for John and, and George to see that. But um, no, what a, what a beautiful gift it was for all us hardcore Beatle mm -hmm. fans, and, uh, and 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 a really really pretty it had i was thinking in that first two-hour segment it was it goes pretty slow initially it's like this might be really tough for like just average you know fans watching this that don't understand that the creative process isn't necessarily like it's going to happen by noon <laughs> it's like you know they had nothing when they came in and it's like it's really kind of it's almost painful in some ways well yeah because i've you worked know. on the other side of the studio you know, yeah recording they, and stuff oh, and i yeah. just feel the in hearing him talk i just feel the angst in my chest like yeah yeah it's the it's pressure pretty, the deadlines of everyone coming well, in just it, imagine the pressure that they're under you know epstein epstein their manager had died nobody's really kind of in charge paul's Steering clearly the, shit, the one yeah. clearly paul's clearly the one with the most motivation but the pressure in this and they, they are burned out they've been on in, the, in this under the microscope for the past six years and it's just they're not having the fun that they once were so but the, that's what's so magical by the time they get up on the roof which almost didn't happen in, right. either right they're like 10 minutes before i go oh, screw it let's just go up there and they you know three of those tracks i think are you know the ones that we're used to that, that they just went out and banged it out live and that was it it, so the the fact that they got a record out of it's pretty miraculous because it was a lot of, I know they were actually ended as friends jamming. They did, club. yeah. There you go. And then, but, but like, like a month or two later, then they decided to get back and do one more record with George Martin, and that was Abbey Road. You know, and George and that Martin. Okay. That one's okay. That one, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. And that's, it's, isn't that insane <laughs> though? The the influence that George Martin could have. Because when you hear, excuse me, hello. The the influence that George Martin could have. You know, to, he knew how to rein them in and get the best out of them. Because clearly on their own, it was cool. Because that Let It Be record is quite great. Yeah. Though you hear the difference, like it's same band two months later with George Martin. It's like miraculous. It's like it's, but they knew that it was going to be their last one. They knew that they'd had it. They, they wanted to do one more last great record. And, and George, George, Martin, George Martin came back only if you let me produce like I used to. And they all agreed. And, and that they, was it. But they had the songs, so too. I mean, a lot of bands oh. go out and they don't have all the songs. They had the songs. Good Lord, George, George stepped up with something, and here comes right. the sun. I mean, yeah, hello, it's hello, George like, Harrison. He, he, he has very few songs out there, but the ones he have are yeah. all out, knocks out of the park every time. Well, he, he did all he did on those two, and then he of course so many great songs on his first his triple Dark record Horse solo and, solo yeah. debut. <laughs> it was it was tough for him to get songs on the record with Lennon and McCartney in the band. That yeah. wasn't. Tough competition, man. Imagine yeah. being the second best player in your band. I mean, when you yeah, have those right. your guys, like, really? Come on. Yeah, yeah, you got to compete with that. <laughs> well, yeah. you, I mean, you're George. But Harrison. that's that's also great though, because you get boy, you step up, it better be good. That's that's yeah. where I want to be. I'd rather be in that band than you know always be in top dog and not challenged. Right? You want to so be challenged. You know, I, yeah. I, I, uh... Competition's a good thing. Lennon and McCartney had they had each other. That was a big thing, you know. That was a real big thing. I took a Chinese uh, kung fu and we had a fighting class, and the teacher's like, mm. "Who wants to take on this backup guy?" I was yeah. like, "So I'm like, <laughs> I'll do it." And the teacher's like, "Why do you want to do it?" I'm like, "Because I'm not gonna fight somebody, you know. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's an equal on the street. I go, I want to be beat up by the toughest wow. guy, and it was coming. Wow. I wanted, that's but that's the that's, attitude. That's brave. That's brave. Wanna, but that's I, that, I like the attitude though. You know, right? I mean, you yeah. learn to get a couple falls, and you learn you're gonna be okay. You have to hit like once to realize you're gonna be okay. Yeah, there you that go. was hard to get okay. over. But once you get hit up once or twice and flipped, yeah. then you're fine. All right. 
It's immortality. Braver, maybe. Yeah, well, there you go. Braver than I am. I am. No, not now. Not with my back now. I won't do it. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this has been great. I want to thank you for coming on. Man, um, thank you, Sean. I enjoyed the chat. And uh, good to see you again. I guess we saw each other somehow in 1990-ish. <laughs> yeah, right. I probably looked at you. You never know. Never uh, know. It was but, a hot uh, day. I remember that. And um, yeah, down the road, exactly. I'll have you back on. We'll, we'll talk again. But this has been really good. Thank you, man. I, I, would I would love it, man. Thank you so yeah. much, Sean.